When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stick around long enough, and we're going to talk to everybody in every profession. And today, we're going to talk to somebody from the Canadian Armed Forces. He's a 25-year veteran of the military, has been deployed over four times overseas in some of the most dangerous areas you could possibly imagine, defusing bombs. He's a team leader. He's got an amazing story about how he got there and how he stuck it out and how he kept wanting to go back and just help the world. I mean, he's way more brave than I am. He hosts a podcast called Fire for Effect on the Cryer Media Network, and uh, he made some time today to come on and tell his story about what he does, how he did it, and what he will do next. It's Army Chris on Do Did Will. Howdy, folks. It's another week of the Do Did Will podcast here on the Cryer Media Network. Thanks for listening thus far. Hoping you're enjoying all these shows, having a blast doing them getting all sorts of guests, like mentioned before, which just it's giving me an opportunity to speak to so many different kinds of people now, not just in my wheelhouse of music, but also just people from all walks of life that have been all over the world like myself and, and or, or not, or have something they're doing locally or whatever. But it's really been a, a great experience for me to learn these other stories and learn about these people and what they do. A couple of years ago, I joined the Dean Blundell Network and had an opportunity to launch this pod and do a lot of different cool things with it and talk to some people. But at that point, it was obviously coffee and music-based focused, and we kind of built it out from there. And through that process, I met a bunch of people on a network kind of through cyber, never really face-to-face. I'm still meeting them face-to-face. Hell, I even just met Dean only about a year and a bit ago in person, in face. So uh, as these things are coming along and and the the media network has now become crier and there's a ton of different personalities on it that have very cool stories, very great podcasts. And my guest this week is one of those we've never formally met outside of on Cyberland, but he's here today. This is Army Chris from Fire From Effect. How you doing, buddy? Welcome to the show. I'm good, bro. How are you doing? You know, I am hanging out uh, in South America. You're hanging out in North America, but kind of South America. I thought yeah. it was a great time for us to to finally put something together and have a chat because I'm fascinated with with your world and your journey. You're in Mexico. I'm in Santiago, Chile. It's just a, one of those travel moments where it's like the it's stars are aligning. Moments, it really is. And it sounds so much better than Vancouver to Edmonton. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I, I like I like. I w- was I prepared for, for doing this here? No, but I like that we're doing this here. Yeah, it's a, it's an opportunity to catch up, say hello. Finally, we've met a handful of times over over various podcasts and, yeah. and guest things, but uh, we've been on the network together for a long time. And uh, just as it goes, and, and as personalities float around and, and bring different ta- things to the network, we have never formally actually had a chance to hang out, so this is going to be great to uh, to kind of chill out. So, what yeah. part of Mexico? What part of Mexico are you in? So, I'm down in Sayulita, Mexico, which is um, this actually ties into the story as we later on. But it it is a small hippie surfer town, about 45 minutes an hour north of uh, Puerto Vallarta. 
and uh, it's one of my favorite places on earth, and it's where I'm going to retire. The waters there on part of Ireland are are a bit rougher, though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anything on the west side of Mexico is yeah. But it's good surf. It's not it's not the best water compared to the Caribbean side, but as far as good surf, good fishing, this is the place to be for sure. How long have you been going down there? How many years? Um, so when I decided I don't want to live in Canada when I retire, and it's that's a other story. That's a whole other thing. A whole other thing. <laughs> I was in Belize first. Spent years going to Belize to try to find that spot. Just didn't land on it. Yeah. And I'm big, I like to see the sunset in the west. Doesn't happen in Belize. We were in the Caribbean, St. Lucia, and a bunch of other places, and just wasn't working out. And then some friends said, you need to come to Sayulita. Um, I'm like, what the fuck is that? And so I've been coming out here for a couple of years, every six months. And the first time I came down here, I went, yep, this is it. it is It is the absolute antithesis of everything I've grown up with in my life. And I need that. I need the opposite of everything I've done. And we'll, we'll obviously get to that for sure. Well, I've heard great things about it. I mean, there's a lot of uh, scare tactics out there about don't go to oh, Mexico, don't go I, to Mexico. And I, and I, you know, I, I know from experience, I've been to Monterey in the middle of a, of a, of a turf war and that, that yep. wasn't, that wasn't fun. So yeah, like anything else, you're going to have your moments, but um, you know, I've also heard incredible places about it. And it's like anywhere you go. I mean, we just spoke the other day, the other week I was in Saudi Arabia Yeah, and, and uh, you know, people are like, you don't go there and you know, they cut people's heads off and it's like, well, listen, you can't move it forward unless you're part of the thing that's, trying to help move it forward whether they want our help or not we're there we're putting on sh we're I putting agree. on shows we're, we're doing things to at least carry on they uh they don't necessarily need western influence but they're definitely curious about the stuff that we're doing and they want us to for the most part come over some people call it polishing the you know it's like covering up sort of the stuff in the back but i don't yeah, know necessarily yeah. the answer to that you there's way smarter people on this network than me when it comes to politics and all the rest of it but um if there is an attempt i would say i guess to make things better i guess you, you want to try to see if that's going to actually happen and that's kind of what what i'm a part of anyways and, you know? I, and so. I think so i i think i mean my my messaging to people that are that listen to the media on on don't travel here like well why not oh well two guys got killed in uh in a resort in in, in cancun yeah two canadians i'm like okay well what were they doing oh well they were drug dealers in you know like yeah. well, fuck man don't do <laughs> shit you shouldn't do where you are yeah. i would i would suggest to people i've been coming out here for a long time i've been to more places in mexico than this but this is where i've been coming for a long time and it's it's better it's not what you think i would suggest to people that more people probably are killed i don't want to spin this on a negative context no but hey let's talk we're talking travel we go to dangerous yeah. i go to dangerous places and bring music Toronto. to people Toronto you know. is a dangerous place sure um, I, I did a course of the Toronto City Police before my last deployment in Afghanistan and I saw the underbelly of Toronto. It's like, eh, hang on a second. Before you judge somewhere because the media says it's bad because they like to sensationalize, do your actual homework. And, you know, it's easy for you and me because you travel a lot. I've been around the world a lot. 
so we're more experienced but you you know your average person eh, maybe you shouldn't worry so much and that, they yell from the, they yell right? from the porch they've never left yeah and so it's it's a thing uh you joined me today from mexico but you've got a show on the network called fire for effect um which is really really cool and you got some fancy merch there which is rad so let's get this thing rolling here sir uh army chris what do you do so i'll tell you where i am right now let's talk about do right now i am uh i'm in a weird position i am let's call it forced into retirement it if you will I'm i'm in a situation where i'm on a medical pension from the military through veterans affairs canada who's been exceptionally awesome for me because of all my experiences so it's a it's been a weird transition where okay you're good you're retired earlier than you planned take care of yourself mentally physically and all that good stuff and you can go do kind of like what you want to do which to me is alien it's it's so alien like i i I grew up going i will no i'm good mike but thank you um later (laughs) he's offering me a little bit of reefer um I'm like, no, man, I'm lightweight. Do as you do. This is the do did will. Do do it. I'm I'm so lightweight on weed, man. I guess, no, man, I'll go to bed. (laughs) We have to make it through this. So um, I was, quote, unquote, retired earlier than planned, right? Like, I just, it's like I grew up Western Alberta kid, Alberta kid, work, 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 work. Um, And till you fucking die. And, And suddenly it's like, no, man. Take a minute. You you've uh, you, you've done your bit for your for your country, and now it's time for your country, you know, to take care of you. That sounds yeah. a little bit cliche, maybe. So I'm I'm really in a situation where I can do what I want to do. Colt, okay, let me rewind a little bit. The lockdown, COVID, was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It really was. I know a lot of people don't think that. But I got to take a minute, yeah. stop and go, you can now go do what you want to do. And I've never been in that situation in my life. And I always, even even when I was in the military, if you rewind back to the 90s, I knew I wanted to make film. And the fastest way to do that, there's two, two pieces to this. Doing podcasts. First podcast I ever saw was Joe Rogan. And I, I didn't even know what a podcast was up about four years ago. And this guy for this company I was working for at the time was a civilian. I've been out of the military for a while. These guys are sitting around their phone at lunchtime. They're giggling away. I'm like, what, what are you guys watching? Oh, it's Joe Rogan. I'm like, okay, I knew who that is. Well, what is that? Well, it's a podcast. I said, well, what is it? They said, well, he just goes on and just talks. I'm okay. So I watched a few episodes of Rogan, right? Yeah. And, and I'm sitting on my on my back deck going, fuck, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Just get some guys together and, and like do it. And I knew I wanted to do video because I had this passion thanks to a guy named Robert Rodriguez, who's a filmmaker from the early mid-90s. Yeah. We know. I want to make film. So I always said I'm going to do a video-based pod 
I'll flip the audio, but whatever. And that, that was that was like my springboard to start doing videography. And I'm very new at it. And I'm trying to get better. But that's when you say, what am I doing now? Yes, I do my pod every week. Um, it, it, it's on the same medium we're using now. But what I really like to do is roll like film, documentary style film. Yeah. That's what I'm chasing today. Now that's uh it's an interesting time for that because you know, we can do it on our phones. We don't need yeah. tons of tons of gear. These YouTube channels are massive. I mean, we're all trying to build it. I mean, I I think I I put probably 15 or 20 episodes in the can of me just filming coffee shops. Yep. <laughs> and it you know, it worked. People are like, "Oh, that coffee and I I was actually tagged today sure. uh, by by somebody that visited one." Um, I met, you know, a, a colleague of mine that was just in the town that I was in that was like, well, I saw that you were here. I got to go, go check it out. So it does, depending on what kind of effect, uh, that you want to have on things. So it does, it's, it. I don't want, it's not easier from the standpoint of like getting it maybe produced and, and seen around the world at that, at, at film festivals and stuff, but everyone's able to put together their version of something that they want people to see. So it's very cool, and um, and and I and I'm I'm assuming that you have, are researching the, you know, you're getting want to get into the big cameras or what is it that that you're sort of like the approach that you're taking to starting this journey here? Well, I'll I'll tell you what. So again, COVID gave me the opportunity because we were all locked down, hiding in our houses, and again, yeah. I was very happy because I'm. It gave me an opportunity where I didn't have any interference. It's like you can literally focus on something you want to do now and no one can come over and fuck with that yeah you don't have to worry about work even though work called me back but that's another story right um i can actually and i just bought a smart tv so <laughs> right before the lockdown right right before the lockdown people were making fun of this tv it was 11 years old it was like this thick and i went for my birthday because my birthday's in two weeks and I bought a new TV. It was a smart TV. And then we got locked down. I had YouTube on it. And, and once you go down YouTube rabbit holes, like you're just That's like, it. wow, man. And I'm, like, I'm looking at this, looking at that. I want to do this, want to do that. And I had all my gear already. So I was literally running around my backyard because we couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I'm filming my dogs or whatever. And I'm learning lighting, camera composition, you know, and all the all these all the settings how to how to actually film stuff and you'd be like no nah, that's shit that shit that shit throw it out and i'm going oh this is really great stuff now i just need to put it all together so that's kind of how it started and it was i just went down this intense focused rabbit hole on this is what i want to do now and i'm a guy that learns the hard way if you know what i mean well, and the technologies, I mean, even we're on Restream here and when this whole yeah. thing started with, you know, the network and getting into things, we were doing Zoom and then you had to bring things in and put the graphics on. Now yeah. we're on Restream, there was Zencaster, there's all these different versions. And if you take, and even now with, with the AI and chat GPT and stuff, you can actually do what Ryan Routh is doing with, uh, you know, Ryan's got next, which is like almost a full AI podcast. There's all these cool things, that the technology. Yeah, that just, what Ray's doing is unbelievable because he's yeah. actually taking AI questions and feeding his new pod. It's amazing. 
it's unbelievable. I'm like, wow, that is actually AI driven. It's unbelievable. Really the technology is. goes ahead, but then we all, but, but on this side of getting it out, but the core of it still starts on film. So you still got to have your, your light. You still got to do, get all that stuff down. And I don't think that part ever changes outside of the fact that the, the coloring and a few things get better. But um, now uh, we'll get into uh, the will part of that, that story as, as far as, you know, the, the mix, but um. I, I am uh, I am definitely wanting to dive into Army Chris, which is this guy right here, and um, you know, and it's, it's just I'm I'm fascinated by uh, what you have had to go through. Um, and first and foremost, thank you for the service to our country and everybody uh, and all the help that you've given around the world. I mean, you guys don't get enough credit for what you do. I and you know, please don't judge, but. It takes a lot of balls, and I and I I'm always like God. I'm not, I'm not sure I I I don't I'm not sure I have it in me. I don't think I have it in me to to like um to jump out of a plane and go and 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 go to Afghanistan and stuff. So I mean I and that's I don't want to mean that from a non uh, no can, Canadian okay. pride thing, but I but I'm just like wow. It takes a lot of balls, man. And I and less than one percent of the population of Canada that wears the uniform it's like 0.22 it's a microscopic number in relation to to the population of canada that actually wears the uniform and goes and does the things and that's no disrespect to everybody it's just the way it is it's just sure well you know people have their their path and 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 you know i i get just as many of i get just as many uh um I have just as many questions for you about that that path that I'm sure you have about mine, even though they're drastically different. And I'm not saving oh, lives. I'm not saving lives, but uh, I do make people. I, this job does make people smile, though. So there you go. <laughs> uh, so how did you get to become Army Chris? How, what takes you from your home and saying I've got a you know I've got a, an obligation to to serve my country? Um. Okay, it's not the story you think. So all the people I've ever interviewed on my own pod, they have a common story where, yeah, I knew I wanted to join the military and it was my calling and blah, blah, blah. And in, in my, in my circle, in my, in with, within my peer group, we're all here tonight. I am considered a fucking hardcore military thinking guy, but that is not how things started. So I back in the day, let's let's go back to about 1985-86. And I know a lot of people might not remember those years, but I do. I do. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of confidence. I was that, you know, nerd kid in school, blah 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 blah. But we're not this isn't a this isn't a fucking fire up your violin story. There was it was it was um probably January nineteen eighty-eight. And um thank you, David. See, good sergeant major. Um, the a buddy, a bunch of buddies of mine in high school, which is grade eleven at the time for me, said, "What are you doing this summer?" I went, "Nah, I don't know." And they said, "We're gonna, we're gonna do this program. It's called the Summer Youth. Or it was a youth. It was a employment program that the military had organized to get you a couple credits for school as as a recruiting, you know, thing, right?" And I was like, yeah, okay. I Like, I honestly didn't know shit about the military at the time. The recruiters that come to high schools, as they do across the country, um, 
yes, um, guys my age, your age, our grandfathers served in World War II. I had some uncles that also served in the same trade as I was. But it's not this, yeah, I want to join the military story. It was like, I just needed a summer job, and my buddies talked me into it. So I signed up. I showed up. I didn't know anything about the military. Didn't give two shits about the military, to be honest with you. Um, they said, well, what trade do you want to be? Because they give you three choices of what, you know, there's, the Canadian Armed Forces has a lot of different trades. And I went, I don't care. So, because I'm just doing it for two months, get some credits, and then carry on with my life. Anyways, the minute I was in, I knew right away when I met all the guys. And if, if you're, you know, I'm a skinny little dude, right? Lack self-confidence blah 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 got bullied in school suddenly i'm uh, i'm with a bunch of guys and it didn't matter whether you were you know the quarterback that that banged the prom queen or any of that you were equally worthless you were all nullified this is on basic training yeah yeah so whether i was a skinny nerd kid or the cool kid jock guy we were reduced to nothing and came up together and I'm like I'm still best friends with the jock guy that I did on basic training from 1988. Maybe he went and did this, went and did that. And once that happened, I I I, I literally uh, I quit high school. I dropped mm-hmm. out. I went back and finished it later and everything. But I'm like, no, this is where I want to be. Yeah. I I fit in with these people, and this is what I want to do. So that's how that started, and I became immediately. I'm equal to these guys, whether they're rock stars or, or, you know, whatever. I knew right away, this is where I want to go. And the direction that journey took, man, that's a, well, we can get into it. Like, well, I, and we will get into it. I uh, Two things I wanted to ask about. Um, uh, you said, number one, what does the Army pay a, a kid that hasn't graduated high school yet that convinces them enough oh, to do it? Oh, back then. No. Is it like minimum wage for the average person? Is it like better yeah, than minimum wage? Minimum wage in 1988 and take about 10 bucks off of it. Right. Okay. We would get enough beer money to go out and get racked and then like, you know. But your food is covered. Your your, your barracks, like all your, yes. your accommodations yeah. are covered. So your cost of living is, is there. Um, do we know what that number is to to cover the cost of a soldier for a year? Like without the, without without deployment like just working on the base and uh, and getting your you know getting your trade and things like that do we know what that number is roughly um back then or today i mean then now i mean they're probably it's the same with with that lovely word inflation but i might have been saying. making uh 60 a day back then okay and then you said that they give you three options for trades is that it yeah. that's all you get it's three options. What if you can't build things like me? I build concerts. I don't build homes. So what options do they give you? Like, what if they're like, you can be a mechanic. I'm like, I don't know shit about mechanics. They go too bad. Well, they'll, they'll train you. Right? They'll train so you. You pick, you pick the three things, but you do aptitude tests too as well. Right. So you do a bunch of aptitude tests. And I think the recruiter guy goes, okay, this guy's not so smart. Here's his trade options. Or this guy is smart. He's educated. Yeah. Here's your trade options. So it, it's, it's a, like there is, hun- I can't tell you how many, but 
when you if you join the Canadian Air Forces now, depending on your level of vacation, there are hundreds of options. Sure. Then I, there wasn't, but that, but but then there was. You know, they gave you your three that you went through. Because I definitely would. They ask you to pick three based yeah. on your aptitude. You go, yeah, well, I yeah. want to be um, an infantryman, a cook, or a clerk. Gotcha. Or I want to be an LCIS tech and work on communications equipment and, and work in telecom and blah, 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 blah. So you've got, there's some options there based on your strengths. Oh, huge options. So there you go. If, um, if, if you're a grade eight dropout, you're not going to be a fighter pilot. It's, it's things like that, right? So so you go in, you get hooked, you go back, you get your high school. That's, that's hooked, a whole other, yeah. other thing. But you said you've got deployed four times. So there's been a very interesting um, few years. I don't know how old you are, Chris, but obviously we've come through. 52 uh, in 10 days. All right. Well, I'm 47, so I'm not too far behind you. Uh, so we've been through we've been through a few things, but I would say since 2001 is when things really heated up. So when did your, I mean, not discounting any of the stuff that happened in the 80s uh, as far as peacekeeping stuff that Canadians were known for, but my question is, you said you were deployed four times. So can we can we break down that journey from I'm in? Absolutely. I'm, I'm in and and here we go. So my first deployment was in 1992. Um, and that was in Cyprus. And that was a classic UN peacekeeping mission. It was a, a fucking holiday. I'm not going to lie. It was a joke. Right. But that's 1992, right? Blue Beret. There was already an agreement between the Tur Cypriot Turks, Cypriot Greeks classic peacekeeping mission we were we've been there for ever and ever it was not anything special now at that time in the in the mid 90s things were kicking off in the balkans right the former yugoslavia very bad time so everybody wanted to go there but i was in i was in uh cyprus and that was my first tour and i came back and i'm like i really 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 want to once you get a taste of a deployment and this was a joke compared to where you know what i ended up doing like there's a massive curve you guys can see this it goes like this yeah from my first deployment which is traditional peacekeeping no not nothing even close to combat it was a, it was a tour like literally a, a holiday yeah where i ended up and i'm um, like yeah you know if, if you're a military guy that really and you're that that's your lifestyle all you care about is when can i get the next deployment when can i get the next deployment funny thing just because of how my career went i didn't get on the next deployment till 2003 so literally 10 years went by Jeez. so i was trying to get on um go to bosnia croatia and in 1995 i just came back i ran pre-deployment training for 90 for the guys that went over in 94 and in 1995 a thing called op storm happened cia led operation which wiped out the area of operations that we were supposed to go to so it was like six months of pre-deployment training in the toilet like you're not going there's nowhere to go it's been overrun by the croatians on this serbian area so i'm like oh fuck. all right so my next deployment was until 2003 now, by 2003, this is post 9-11, if you're a guy like me, all you want to do is go to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. You've been, Which, it's like, so uh, to, to put it in perspective for Canadian viewers, imagine you, you go to hockey practice 
for years and years and years, but you don't go play the game. Yeah. Now I got to go play the game. So I'm in Afghan. I'm in sorry. I'm in Bosnia in 03. You know, on the back end of of uh, Canada's commitment to that theater of operations going, and I'm watching planes fly over Europe going to Afghanistan. I'm like, fuck, man, I gotta get to Afghanistan. I gotta get to Afghanistan. And that's all anybody who gave a shit cared about. So I get back from from uh, Bosnia. Um, that's 2003, and it took me four years. 07 is my first deployment. This is where things start getting fast and furious for me. Um, yeah, because you're going from you're going from uh, you're going uh, what do you call it from from a peacekeeping mission, and as you mentioned, the world's kind of out of yeah. control at that point or at least uh, everything's heightened and everyone wants to help or at least uh, all the army people and all the men of service men and women of service want to help and you're kind of you're you're in a lottery right and you're just getting antsy and antsy and i'd imagine mentally that's that's tough because my, you know you're training 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 uh but then you get the call you go and now you have to kind of do this all right now what do i do Right. Like now, now someone's got to tell you what to do when you get there. Right. Or have you been trained enough that you hit the ground running? There's got to be people yeah, that we'll, are like, Brandon, we'll come to that because it's, it's one of those, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. I be would imagine. careful what you wish for. Um, so leading up to 2007, my first, my first deployment, I, my, my job that I was going to do over there changed like fucking four times. So I did all my pre-deployment. I'm ready to go out. And then went. I was supposed to go as a uh, an artillery forward observer. So he's the guy that looks in and calls artillery rounds onto targets. Got scrubbed. Now another guy, a buddy of mine, um, he was going to go do that job. So I said, okay, what am I doing now? You're going to go to the embedded training teams where you're training the ne- the uh, the Afghan National Army. All right, cool. I'll, do, I'll go do that. Wow. And then that got scrapped. I said, well, what am I going to go do? Am I even going? Is this happening? They said, yes. You're going into counter IED. <laughs> this is where my life changed. Counter improvised explosive devices. I went, what? That, that, That's my second tour, but we'll come to that. And I went, what are you talking about? That's an engineer, Navy, EOD thing, blah, blah, blah. They went, yeah, well, you're going to go be this... Um, behind a desk guy thing and I, I was like fucking demoralized man I'm like oh my god I'm gonna I'm going over there while the boys are out getting it on and fine good good thing every deployment I've been on I changed whatever my job was to something else so I got there I started off in this desk job but I learned a lot I really learned a lot about what it was I was doing and a good friend of mine who was also over there. He was a civilian contractor. He goes, Hey, what are you doing here? Come on, come with me. And then everything changed after that. Um, came back off that deployment. May, 2008. I spent a month on, 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 on leave holidays. I'm just coming back to work. And there was a, uh, a conference to prepare the next guys going over. So I went there and they're going around the table 
and I introduce myself and my 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 next my future boss goes my name is then major Chris Cotton I'm going to be the officer commanding counter ID squadron on task force 309 so the thing's done I walked up to him I said hey listen I just came back I got a bunch of material I was in the theater training team all this great stuff right and he goes do you want to go back and I'm like fuck no I don't want to go back I just got literally just got back this is on a Friday so I go home and my my wife at the time my ex-wife now she's a gem we get along good I know that's not what happens to everybody she goes she was ex she's in the military to this day she was intelligence she goes they just asked me to go on uh task force 309 which was the next deployment i went what okay well we might as well both go right this is on friday monday i go back call them up and go yeah i'm in so that's what led to you know back to back like a lot of high high op handball. what's a, what's a normal break though what's a normal so, break that someone gets in that case what would happen would be if you went away for six months six seven months like the yeah. guys are normally deployed six seven months nine months 12 months depending on where they are what they're doing and then you would have normally in a, in a perfect universe 18 months oh. actually physically at home uh, that number kind of shrunk over years as operational tempo got higher and higher, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and the only reason I went back into the, to the uh, we call it high readiness, the deployment, the pre-deployment cycle, like getting ready to go, is because for what we did, which was pretty specialized shit, um, we had to start our training six months in advance of everybody else's training because we had to train them you know what i mean it's, so, uh, it, that's a lot man I, 18 months to me uh, well 18 well six months away i mean i i do three months uh, again not comparing i'm just talking about being away but you're on the move you're on the move you're on the move um and uh the the, the being home for 18 months part is interesting because I I wanted to, to ask you about you know your thoughts of some of these movies especially the ones oh, that we weren't home for eighteen months. Yeah, well, you I'm saying the general deployment for somebody, or uh, th that would stay home for eighteen months. I would think coming uh, would would it would you know fuck with your brain because number one you're you, you're in it. It's like it's no different than. A, well, you know, your adrenaline's up, your adrenaline's down, your adrenaline's yeah. up, your adrenaline's down. And, you know, um, you watch American Sniper or any of these movies when when all these soldiers have to go home and it's like, it's just a, boom, it's boom, tough, boom. right? It's tough. So, so, um, so it got, it gets reduced from 18 months. Then you got to go right back into it. Obviously you just, you just were home for a little bit. Um, but you're probably still like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's do this then. Well, so for me, it was like that because like I, I never had kids yeah. and my, and my ex-wife was military. So it was like natural. Right. So to me, like the, the, the shorter the time, the space time between from when I get back to when I go again, the better. Yeah. Cause it's still in your head. Okay, good. Boom. Let, let's go. Right. I, I felt bad because all the guys under me and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump to uh, the complications of that. If you'll give me the time um where they have kids and they have a wife and fuck man the the burden with that i feel bad for those guys that don't have enough time between one deployment to the next deployment it's it's just not right 
Right. Whereas I was like, okay, yeah, shit, fuck, let's go. Um, and that is not sustainable. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And it, it'll, it'll, it'll grind you down. I mean, I was, when, when I went over on my second deployment, this is the pinnacle of my entire total career. I was never more ready, never more focused, never more comfortable. I'm going back in and now I'm going down to do what I actually want to do, you know, from the first one. When I was in the first one, different job, but it was within counter IED, explosive ordnance disposal. Like I knew this is what I want to do, 100%. I, I, I'm working with the best guys. Um, we had clearance divers from, from the Navy, EOD dudes from the Army, like the best of the best of the best. And I get to run a five-man team. And I have the experience. I'm right out of theater. I have never been more ready to go. But here's the problem. The other four guys in that picture, yeah. Um, well, except one. They were like, I met their wives, and they're crying. And and the guys that you don't see in this picture, we were part of a quick reaction force. So there's like 35 guys, and a few of them they were very, very close friends of mine. You're getting on a plane, and you know I was one guy's best man, and she they're crying like, make sure he gets home alive. Yeah, that's a tall order. Yeah, and I'll take care of them. I'll take and care of. Them. And is that guys, gig like the Hurt Locker? Is that gig like the Hurt Locker? Is that is that well, kind of funny? You bring that up. Yeah. Yes, it is. But so we were getting before we left, the Hurt Locker came out. So this yeah. is early '09. Yeah. And a bunch of media guys, CB, whoever it was, CTV News, fucking Global, I don't know came out to CFB Southfield in Alberta to interview us, to preview the Hurt Locker before it was released, to say, how accurate is this? Because the Hurt Locker, for those of you people watching this have not seen it, it's a movie about an American explosive ordnance disposal team in Iraq in the early days. They run a three-man team. They're running around doing all this crazy shit. And, but they're taking out bombs. So they asked us to watch it, you know, to comment on it. And we said, well, the equipment's pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where it ends. Interesting. It's very much traumatized because actual technical bomb disposal is fucking boring compared to what you saw in that movie. Sure. It's very, very methodical. We take our time if we have the time. Right. And I'm not an EOD guy. I ran an EOD team. I had a different job, long story, different story. So full respect of uh, the EOD guys that, that worked for me. There was two of them rock stars. Um, you know, when the actual bomb technician has a very methodically planned job that is very technical to figure out what this device is, how it works and how, he's going to do what's called a render safe procedure, right? It takes a lot of time. And then we got better and better at it and faster and faster at it. I mean, the first bomb we did in 2009, I think it took us four hours. And then by the end of that shit in 2010, we were racking that off in 40 minutes. Um, can I, can I ask about um, that process before we, I got yeah, a couple more, absolutely. Couple, couple more for you, but um the astronaut, the stat or something on an astronaut is that they have to train 
I don't know whatever whatever thirty days for th- for for thirty days for like a thirty minute or a three minutes a problem or they got it or whatever it is. There's just a stat that's like training a certain amount of days in comparison to something that would happen. And I would imagine somebody like that's putting bombs, oh, like you know, clearing them. You know, what is that? Is that a, like six months training to get one scenario? So then you have different levels of bomb, bomb gun. Like this guy's got 25 years of this because he's been doing it around the world yeah. that qualifies him for this level of bomb. Or is it, you know, or does everyone get the same training and you're kind of thrown into uh, it? I can't get too deep into it because it's still, sure. it, it's, sure. it's still pretty, I, I, I can't get into what we call TTPs, techniques, yeah. Understood. Understood. I just thought I was trying to get you were talking about it like it was an astronaut. And to me, I compared it like no, an astronaut, like where it was like they have a shit ton of training. The DOD operator understands they can look at it. And there's a lot of history that goes into it. Right. Like it's yeah. not like fucking especially over there where the, the bombs are very different. When you when we see it is you have you had to respect the enemy at the time. They're using minimal resources to make very, very simple IEDs that are very effective in doing what they do. But once you get ahead of that and you you can get on that bomb, 90% of the time that device, the way it's made up and how it how it functions, we have a pretty good idea how we're going to uh, deal gotcha. with it. And depending on where you were, like if it was in the city, because I operate out of Kandahar City, right? So you didn't have the luxury to just put a block of C4 on and blow it up, which is ideally what you, what you would do. Like, fuck it. If it's out in the, if it's out in the, if it's out in the middle of nowhere, if that's what you're going to do in the city, we didn't have that opportunity. So we act, we had to, the operator had to actually render it safe, hand dismantle the thing. Um, and that's the way it was. Now, if you were outside the city where, well, there's lots of room, lots of real estate, Fuck it. Rather than risk the life of the of the of the bomb guy, the guy in the suit, we're like, now put a block on it, bam, hit it, blow it up, done. So it depended on when and where. That being said, the actual devices themselves were pretty basic in their construct. They were usually, you know, activated by radio control, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Push a button. Boom, line of sight, whack. Or, you know, yeah, it, it was kind of like that. So we got into the routine of kind of knowing how it worked. But always in the back of your mind is, is there an anti-tampering device? Right. right well, I was going to ask you that question. The follow-up to that would have been, I mean, when has it gone wrong? And I, and I, I don't... So uh, it, it's yeah. gone wrong and it killed an operator right before we got there in 09 in 08 um his name was dube he mm-hmm. was a french guy and he got blown up and he was an operator right and then another in, good friend of was mine he in the gear was he in the gear is he in the gear he was in the gear yep and how much and protection is in that gear I, i'm gonna probably hammer a couple of these quick to you because i want to uh uh but he's in the he's in like the full bomb suit but there's just enough in there that it doesn't matter is that the idea yeah so the the bomb suit has to put it into simple terms it can it can handle so much blast it's called neq net equivalent fucking quantity 
right? Where it can handle this much bang and then it can't handle any more than that. So as soon as we, so we sent a robot down first. Somebody's under clear here and really brilliant robot. It's got an awesome camera package and that robot will look at the bomb, blah, blah, blah. You've seen it in the movies. I'm not speaking. Sure. Of yeah. And then the operators, two guys, EOD number one, number two, they'll go, okay, what are we, how are we going to approach this bomb? If it's this fucking massive bomb, the bomb suit's cumbersome. It's not going to stop the guy from getting hurt. So it's like, we're not wearing the suit. And that guy goes down bare ass wow. and does what he does. Um, because the bomb suit's not going to stop that big of a blast. It's, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was always a judgment call on the size of the bomb and how much we think it would be versus wearing a cumbersome bomb suit but because the bomb of any given bomb suit again i'm not talking out of school i know there's a lot of sure. drama sure right now about opsec um so it was always a judgment call and it was always a conversation when we when we, we looked at it went okay you're gonna go if you it's up to you are you gonna wear the suit or not well, no, it's fucking this big. There's no point. I, I I can I can dismantle this bomb without this shit faster than I can with it. Yeah. Every opportunity we had to, to wear it, we would. But it wasn't. When it doesn't matter, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um. I mean, it could go on for a long time. I I, I guess yeah. the the question at this point then is um, to, to get more back into film for a second on the on the on to, to to go to a more lighter approach for a sec. Um, then what's what what's the most accurate portrayal of that gig, or the most accurate portrayal of uh, in a movie that you've seen of what's going on over there since it's all started? Oh man, that's a great question. I, I, I would suggest that there's not movies because movies are dramatized for for impact sure. but there's been a lot of good like netflix docs um that kind of tie it together I, I can't put my you know let me let me let me go this way I'll, I'll list you a few you rank them at a 10 for accuracy okay right? that's fair black hawk down eight wow that's a that's a good score a hurt yeah. locker four wow that one for everything that one for accuracy great i'm just saying you think hollywood would you know it won everything you think hollywood would have spent a little bit of time great movie but, it, but <laughs> just, that, is just not, that is not an accurate okay accurate. uh american Sni american sniper which is a little bit more on the on the marine slash uh seals six seven okay um Let's go back a bit. Because I know snipers, like legit snipers. Yeah. Um, where else am I going here? Uh, there was. Uh, let's go. Let's go back to like just uh, that feeling in general of of accuracy. Obviously, Saving Private Ryan. Oh my God, buddy! I don't know how accurate that was, but the visual effects were were putting World War II guys into into seizures. That's a true story. Yeah. I, when I saw it, did you see that movie in the theater? I did. Because I saw it in the theater, and I was I was like, oh, my God. This is unbelievably yeah. insane. Yeah. 
there's you know it's very interesting because I, I there was the um what's the other one with uh mark Wahlberg? Um, just let me my brain oh, just... he did um it was a uh, an sas movie called yeah and called, they were in the in the mountains the seal movie ah it's killing me it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, a guy named mark marcus luttrell yeah marcus luttrell and that movie uh that movie to me like in the mountains was one of the scariest of all to tell you the truth it just I, you know and i was i'll like, give well. that thing a nine because when i was watching it how fucked up it was on the front end they had yeah. no communications everything was going wrong um, Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Thank you, Lone Survivor. If you yeah. watch, listen to Marcus Luttrell's pod or the ones that he's yeah. on, it's it's a pretty good reflection because he was an advisor on that movie, right? And buddy, like, you listen, yeah. and he's he's in that he's in that helicopter. He plays he plays yeah. a, like a, a guy in that helicopter that gets shot down. What would have that been like from a PTSD standpoint of playing a guy who he know, like that would have been man oh man and even all the guys i what a movie wow the accuracy of a movie to me as a military guy yeah can be answered in the first five minutes is interesting if they are miles and miles away with a little bullshit earpiece and have perfect communications back to whoever i'm like fucking bullshit (laughs) that's why i loved uh lone survivor because their comms were shit um you saw that, that a lot in the Vietnamese, that, uh, the Vietnam movies, about yeah. the comms not working. You know, but. that's 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 real life to this day. Yeah, like yeah. we were. I'll give you a good example. We got a call, and normally everywhere I went in Canada City, except for a couple spots, we didn't have a lot of blind spots. But they said, Chris, you're taking your team, and you're going into Argandab, which is outside of our area. I'm like, why are we going there? The Americans have an EOD team there. And like, yeah, they got blown up. Oh, shit. So and we had to go through because we were I was where I was was on on the uh, east side of Kanahar City, which is kind of like a narrow shaped city. And then we go all the way to the other side. And then Argandab, which is another province, is like north, north, uh, east, no, northwest. But it's behind this fucking giant mountain. So the minute we rolled behind that mountain, we had no communications. And the only way I can maintain communications is I I leave one vehicle, like a gun truck, as we'll call it, for lack of a better term, at the last place we had communications to kind of relay, you know what I mean? I call you, you tell them. And I'm like, fuck, man, this is bad. So so we rolled in with no comms back to... uh, the, the mothership for lack of a better term sure. but thank god you know we had american gunships covering us and these american guys were fucked up man their car was blown blown to shit and it's like ugh. so that's how i uh long story short would assess the accuracy of a war movie if yeah. they have good communication the whole time like bullshit man because to this day in 2023 yeah Boys, I promise you, man, that are over there right now, wherever they are, Iraq, fucking um, Ukraine, wherever, uh, Latvia, they do not have good communications, mm-hmm. right? You've all, everybody's been walking around their cell phone, you go over here and suddenly it does not work. That I don't give a shit what military you're in. Communications is never as good as they are in those shit war movies. 
couple minutes, my man. Uh, we could definitely have to do a part two to this because there's lots more to get into. Okay. Um, definitely uh, more to get into on this side of it because uh, part of this series is talking to people that I normally don't speak to. So I am fascinated by them, uh, by all these stories. And uh, it makes the listener want more. So the next time I bring you back, I want to get into Ukraine. I want to get into, um, uh, you know, furthering along your career. Uh, but uh, it, it, you know, would you go back if you had a chance to all that kind of stuff? But for now, uh, it's time to get into will and what you will do next, which, you know, you can answer appropriately. Maybe you, uh, yep. maybe you do want to go back, you know, and do it, but, uh, what will army Chris do next? I'll tell you what, man, when I, when I left the military, um, and we're going back a few years cause I did some civilian stuff in, in, in the interim project management stuff for construction company. But I left at a time where everybody was like, are you seriously getting out now? You're at the height of your career. I'm like, yes, I am leaving now. Um, I just, I was exhausted. I wasn't happy with the military, the de decisions that were being made in Afghanistan, the direction things were going. That's for another, another night. And I got out and I went, okay, I'm past uh, midway through life. I want to go do something for me now. Me and the queen are even. Done. <laughs> now I'm going to go do this. Okay, what's that going to be? I said, you know what? I want to do, I want to make film. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going to use the podcast medium to do it. So if you look at my first three pods, I'm not promoting my shit. We are. We're going to promote the shit out of and, your shit. Yeah, okay, which is good. Go back to the beginning. And they are all three camera angle interviews. And I think the lighting's good. I think the audio's good, and I'm getting better. And I'm I was using the pod thing to uh, to to hone that craft. I'm like, I want to create, not destroy. I'm I'm the military's in my rearview mirror. I'm a military-minded guy. Yes. Can we talk about that another time? Absolutely. I will never not be that guy. But at some point, you you need to go do what you want to do. So, will. I am 100% focused on getting better and better and better at making film, um, working with, obviously, Cryer Media like you. Okay, I was the film guy for the uh, Niagara Film Fest. I saw that. It was great. Yeah. And was it good? It was all right. Could it be better? Yes, because I'm, I'm my worst critic. That's what I want to do now, and that's where my focus is right now. What's the first thing that you want to make? I'll tell you what, it, there's a, there's a, uh, an organization called Water Warriors in Edmonton, Alberta. There's a lot of homeless veterans on the street. I want to do, a, okay. I want to do a film about them because it's, it's, I can understand it and relate to it. Like if your first project that's big should be about something you know about, right? I'm trying to do these little micro content things like my a cooking show here and there. But what I want to do right now, first thing is a uh, a documentary on on uh, homeless veterans this well, is attack for me you know what I mean? you're gonna get a lot of support on that and um, yeah. we've got a lot of people in the network that are going to be able to help you with that um, we've got people I've got people all over this industry too that will also be able to help you with that so we're gonna talk off air about that my friend I uh, yeah, definitely man. anything anything we can do to help That's on that side of it. together first um, and last question on for today anyways is uh Will you come back on the show? Absolutely. We're not even, we're just getting going. 
I know. But you're in Mexico. There's going to be I people am. handing you tequila and reefer, and it's getting dark, and you got things, and you got people there, and uh, I could go on for probably hours. And hopefully, do, hopefully the to- hopefully the audience uh, learned a, f- a few things today, but will also join me on part two of this, we'll, w- which will hopefully be very, very shortly as we get through it and as people uh, dive into the pod. So I appreciate the time, Chris. Um, where can people find you online? You can find me on uh, Twitter, the at the Army Chris and Instagram and on YouTube. Fire All the places. Fire for effect. Fire for effect. Type that in. You'll find me. And I'm on Cryer Media. Where does fire from effect? Is that a saying? Where's that from? Actually, it is. It's an artillery term. So my last words, fire for effect is an artillery term, which means to bring a bunch of friggin' chaos onto a target. And that was always my, uh, I'm like, I'm going to bring the noise on any given topic. I'm not going to butter it up. I'm not going to dance around it. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. So that's where that comes from. Fire for Effect on the Cryer Media Network. Uh, you can find Chris on all the places that he mentioned. Uh, we got we have to do a part two, part three, part four. I think Chris is definitely going to be a part of Do Did Will for, for many episodes to come because it's an important story. It's a fascinating story. There's veterans that need that need uh, care. There's people that need to pay attention to these stories from people like Chris that are fighting for our country. And I, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate all that you do for our country and uh, all the things that you've done and, and serve for us and uh, is not lost on me, my friend and, and, uh, and all the best. Appreciate to you, it, Brad. Sure. Really appreciate it, man. Awesome, buddy. Uh, that's the do did will podcast, uh, for another week. And it's going to be tough to top this one. I'll tell you. And, uh, Chris has been, uh, been a hell of a guest. Uh, I can't wait to have him back. Uh, and we're going to do a part two very, very soon. Uh, I may not be in South America and he may not be in Mexico, but we're definitely going to get into the, the second part of it. And hopefully you guys want to hear more about what's going on there. This is Do Did Will, the Story of People podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in another week. You can catch me at Twitter, YouTube, all the places, Instagram. Tell your friends. Have a listen. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.